0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Elemental Evan Show. Thank you all for joining me on this beautiful Wellness Wednesday. Today, I am joined by the one and only Rick Olderman. He is a sports orthopedic physical therapist with over 25 years of experience, as well as an author of uh, the Fixing You book series. Is that correct? As well as a, a new book called Solving the Pain Puzzle? That is correct. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Evan. Yeah, no, thank you so much for for joining me. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I love talking with uh, people who are very experienced with the workings of the body uh, from a- anatomically to physiologically. And uh, I think we kind of uh, use and abuse our bodies without thinking about the functioning of it and and focusing on form and how we, you know, the way we carry our bodies is going to play a role out in the long term. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on here. And first, I want to start with how did you get into this field? So, uh, I
1: became a physical therapist. I had back pain myself. I wanted to see what the insider secrets were. Those never came in PT school, and uh, that kind of bore out in uh, after PT school. My first job, I felt Evan, that I was complete failure as a physical therapist in terms of helping people with any kind of more chronic or complicated issue. Uh, I felt school prepared me really well for acute issues. Sprains, strains, post surgery, pre surgery, all that kind of stuff. Did really well with that, but anyone with any kind of chronic issue, I was a failure at, and and basically I sunk into a deep depression for a few years, until I realized that it wasn't just me who was failing with people with chronic pain. It was most of medicine, and uh, I realized that when I moved to Denver, eventually, and my schedule immediately filled with tons of people with chronic injuries. And these were all, this was at an elite health club I worked at downtown. And, you know, 20s to 70-year-olds, well-to-do, well-educated, access to all medical facilities, specialists, and so forth, all of them had chronic issues that no one could solve. I thought, and that's when I realized it wasn't just me. And so my last 25 years, I've been just trying to figure out what's going on here. And that's what my books are about. And that's what my current book and home programs are about too.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I know. Um, I, I always like to ask that question because I feel like there's always a story behind our passions and, um, you know, like, like you said, like feeling kind of like a failure. Uh, I dealt with a lot of gastrointestinal issues as a kid and I felt kind of failed by the medical system as well because, they really told me that it's just like, hey, IBS and and you know all these symptoms you're feeling are just kind of things you're gonna have to deal with for the rest of your life. You know, like there's no kind of real known cure, um, and you know it's through that feeling like a failure that sometimes you either rise to the challenge or you allow it to take you down. But um, obviously, you've you've risen to the challenge and and exceeded. So um, that's really awesome. And in terms of you say that you had a lot of people dealing with these chronic pain and, and issues. Uh, what were more of the common pains that they were feeling? Like, was there, was there a, uh, like a common theme there with, with certain injuries that you were seeing?
1: Yeah. Well, by far back pain, sciatic pain, things like that. Chronic neck pain, headaches, uh, were the, were the most prevalent by far. Then, then there was also, you know, hip pain and then, after that, everything else, <laughs> knee pain, foot pain, elbow pain, shoulder pain, you name it. But those, those are yeah. the top
0: ones. Okay, and uh, I, I gotta ask, why Why do you think it is that? Because um, I, I, even for myself personally, not even being in the physical therapy realm or anything, um, just kind of in the health and wellness, I, I hear a lot of people who are dealing with sciatica pain and even uh, like hip pain as well. Um, yes. And for myself personally, I uh, in my left hip, kind of right where the femur bone comes into the pelvis area, um, is where I have a bit of pain as well. And I, I'm guessing it's a hip imbalance. Um, I'm not completely sure on that. But why why is this such a common issue? Is it because of all the muscles that you know the you know the gluteus maximus is just like with so many different uh, muscles coming in together, or, or what is causing that?
1: Well most back and sciatic pain, the reason why they're so common is because they're com- so commonly misunderstood. And that's that's why we have chronic issues. Chronic issues, I've come to believe, are really just acute issues that no one seems to be able to solve. And so they just become a chronic issue because no one is able to understand the acute issue. So with regards to what you're talking about with your left hip, and uh, and if we talk about sciatic pain, there's a common thing in with hips that's called uh, an anterior femoral glide syndrome, and that just means that the, f- the femur head is gliding forward in the hip socket, and it shouldn't. It should just be pivoting in the hip socket, but this is a very mm. common problem, and it can cause piriformis syndrome in the back. It can cause bursitis in the side. It can cause groin pain in the front. It can cause global hip pain. You can imagine it's like a washing machine that's out of balance just careening around in there and banging against the sides of the acetabulum right and so that breaks Mm -hmm. down things more rapidly but and this is the this is the focus of my whole approach is it's not it's not so important to understand i mean it's it's important to understand that that's happening but really in order to solve these kinds of problems and all problems chronic problems in the body you have to understand why this is happening and so if we can solve the whys, then we're going to solve our chronic pain. And so many people would say, oh, you've got an anterior femoral glide syndrome. So let's treat the tissues in the hip, but that's not addressing the reason why it's happening. And so the reason it's happening is because of poor gluteal muscle or butt muscle function, the butt muscle runs from the sacrum basically to that hip bone
2: mm-hmm. and
1: its job, it's massive, right? It's hugely powerful. So it's designed architecturally to be working all day long. And when it's not working, that's when the deeper muscles, like the piriformis, gemellus, all these kind of little tiny guys inside, they start overworking because the big guy is underworking. And that's mm. generally how it works in the body. So then the next question to answer why is why is the butt muscle not working? And that has to do with your behavior and how you're standing and how you're walking. And so the most common reason that this is getting turned off the butt muscle is because of locking the knees. while mm. walking. When you lock the knee while walking or standing, it turns off all your pelvic muscles because now you're standing on joints and you don't gotcha. need mus- muscular activity to hold yourself up. And so this eventually starts shutting this down. Then you get the slow migration of the femur head. It starts careening around in there. Pretty soon, labral tears occur. Arthritic changes happen. Bursitis starts to happen. All sorts of things start to complain, and you go to a doctor or other, you know, medical practitioner, and they'll identify all those tissues that are getting irritated. Mm-hmm. And we have a thousand t- different tests to understand which tissue is getting irritated. We have X-rays, MRIs, orthopedic tests, and physical therapy, chiropractor, but we have zero tests that identify why those t- tissues are irritated. And that's what I feel we've been missing in at least physical therapy, and from what I've been talking with, chiropractors feel the same way too
0: yeah, yeah uh no i that was an excellent explanation uh something I haven't heard before and uh yeah i I really like the way you 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 kind of address that. you know I think a lot of our um medical field in a way is kind of all about just treating the symptoms and not finding that root cause. And like you're saying right here with, you know, all these hip pains, it's like, yeah, we can address the muscles that are in pain and, and try to, you know, do something with those. But if we're not getting to the reason why they're in pain, then it's just going to keep reoccurring. Um, so definitely then in terms of trying to combat this, uh, pain in the hip or sciatica, it, it, you're saying it mainly comes down to, uh, like, I know you mentioned, locking out the, the, the knees, right. And just basically using the joints to support ourselves and not activate our muscles. Uh, so that's one reason why, uh, we might be relaxing this, uh, this glute muscle too much. Um, are there other things like, for example, maybe favoring a side, like when you're talking with someone and you kind of lean over to one side, or maybe even when you're in the gym doing a workout, if you're not being, with your feet in the correct positioning and and doing your lift correctly, and maybe lifting more with one of your, whatever your favorite side is, uh, do those all play a role in these pains?
1: Uh, By all means. And, uh, you know, you're touching on a lot of things we can go very deeply into. But one of the things I wanted to say first was, I don't think you'll ever find a practitioner who says that they're not addressing the root causes of pain. Every practitioner is trying to and believes that they are. And regardless of whether they're addressing symptoms or not, uh, you, you know you will not find a practitioner who says I'm I I I'm not going to address the root. I'm going to address you know I'm you know I'm going to. So the it's it's our it's finding a practitioner that really understands what the root causes are. That's the difficult problem. It's not finding a practitioner that says that they're treating the root cause. And the the clue that you have that someone isn't really addressing the root cause is. If the problem keeps coming back again and again, do you have to keep going back to that practitioner for weeks, months, years for the same type of treatment in order to stay well? Well, we're not born needing continual adjustments to our body in order for our body to work correctly. What's missing there is your own idea of how you should be using your body. That's where the problem is. And the practitioner is trying to reduce your pain for you. They think that they're addressing the root cause. But again, if your if your issues keep returning, they are not, no matter what their good intentions are, they don't understand how all of this is fitting together now to go on to your other question about the hip. Yeah. So I would almost guarantee Evan, that if I were to measure your pelvic height, we would Mm. find, especially since you said that your left hip is hurting. Yeah that we would find that your left side of your pelvis is higher than your right. Gotcha. And you may have been told that your left leg is longer than your right. Mm. And uh, so what happens is when we have a chronic problem in in one of the legs, right? It could be an old ankle injury, knee, hip, whatever. What happens is the, the brain taps into this ref, ancient reflex pattern that we're born with, called a withdrawal reflex pattern. And it says, you know what? You know, in order for you to do what you say you want to be doing, you know, running that, you know, playing that sport or lifting in the gym or whatever it is, I think you know, in order to get off of this problem area, I'm just going to hike up this pelvis a little bit here, and Mm. get you off of that. It's like if you had a pebble in your shoe, you wouldn't land hard on that pebble every time. You would start walking a little bit lighter on that foot, right, to get off of that. Right. And that's what your brain is doing is it's unloading the problem area, and it does that by lifting up the pelvis. Well, the muscles that are lifting up that pelvis attach the rib cage. So then it also pulls down the rib cage. And for those of you just listening, you can imagine, I call this a side bending problem. You can imagine one side of your pelvis up and the same side down, and the same side rib cage down, which then creates compression on this side of the spine. Well, mm. the nerve roots that are on that side of the spine comprise the sciatic nerve, right? So then this then creates sciatic nerve pain. So, but then it's blamed on the piriformis or, you know, SI joint or something like that. And so you get treatment to those tissues, but it's not addressing the older problem that's causing this whole pattern to occur in the first place. Right. And so oh. in 80, 80 to 90% of people with a sciatic nerve pain or SI joint pain or unilateral back pain, when when they have this pattern, it's, it's due to an older problem in that same leg in 10 to 20% of the people it's due to a compensation pattern from a
0: problem in the other leg. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, makes a lot of sense. And in, you know, like now thinking of it, like everything you're saying, I'm like, okay, that, yeah, I, kind of can notice the hiking up of that hip or even, you know the the ribs coming down closer to the to the yeah. uh, hip area um so Have in terms of, yeah I, I definitely after this i'm i'm <laughs> i'm going to get this yeah. checked for sure um so and then in terms of you know combating that or trying to correct that are there practices and i know you have all of these books that you've written and I'm I'm sure a lot of them cover it, but are there some tips that you have for people dealing with like either that pain or a sciatic pain or or anything like that?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, this pattern we can solve in 10 steps. So it's super fast and easy to solve this because ultimately just like what we talked about with your, with your butt muscle getting turned off is due to the fact that you're locking your knees. Mm. So, this pattern is occurring because of a gait pattern issue. Okay. The gait pattern issue is occurring likely because of that old injury. Mm. And that's why I can solve this by just, I mean, you can do it. If if you have someone test this in you and you find that that pelvis is higher and the ribcage is lower, take 10 steps with your left arm up in the air and have them remeasure it again. And I can almost guarantee that your pelvis and ribcage will be level. Whoa. All right and the reason it's level is because that what you're doing by lifting the hand up in the air is you are interrupting a compensation pattern that's occurring in your body that's contributing to the pattern developing in the first place Mm. you're forcing your body to be used more correctly and therefore it fixes the side bending pattern but this you can't do this for the rest of your life right (laughs) you can't walk around with your left arm up in the air right so you have to keep, keep asking, well, why is this thing happening, right? Why does my pelvis keep going up like that? Yes, I can correct it, but that's not the solution. The solution is why it's happening in the first place. And most people were not trained to think of our old injuries 20, 30 years ago as the progenitor of our current pain. I see it all the time. And so when I tell people, oh, you've got a side bending problem, you've got some older problem on this side. No, I have no injuries on that side. Well, I'm sorry, your body is telling me something different, you know? Hmm. And so we work and what happens is if you can't identify what that old thing is, as we correct how your body is being used, what it's going to do is it's going to put more pressure on that older injury and that old injury will surface huh? You know what? Now that my pelvic, my, this is all better, but gosh, my knee is hurting a lot. That's where the problem is. That's what Mm. we have to solve is your knee. That's what's causing all of this because when we make everything work the way it should be, it's going to put more stress on the thing that's not working well and then that's going to surface again. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and just you even saying that makes me remember, uh, so I've actually fractured both of my ankles at different times um and my left ankle i believe it was on the uh the frontal part of my ankle like on the almost like the top of my foot like in that area um so yeah i'm sure that it's going to be coming back to that uh that injury and Can probably dealing maybe to with you like that? yeah Can I explain absolutely to
1: what that what that connection might be all right mm-hmm. so let's say you you've got this ankle fracture all right Mm -hmm. And and I would almost then guarantee that the ankle does not bend forward as well as it should. All right. So you've got probably a loss of dorsiflexion because the knee has to travel over the foot when we're walking or running or anything like that. So what happens is now it's restricted. You've got a slight restriction in that range of motion. And then what happens is the tissues in the calf and soleus complex then become tighter. And mm. so they become tighter and they start to also restrict that forward motion. Well, one of two things happens at, at, at this point, either the foot has to collapse more because there are 26 joints in the foot. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of accommodation in the foot that can occur. And therefore, and that's when you get things like plantar fasciitis, Cro- Morton's neuromas, things like that in the foot, weird things, right. That don't mm-hmm. seem to resolve or If your foot says, no, I'm not going to take that load. I'm going to throw you back up to the knee. Then the knee starts to get irritated or something. All right. But when the calf and soleus muscles start to lose their range of motion, they start to push the knee back into that locked position again, Mm -hmm. because they're becoming shorter because you're not using the length that they're designed, that they need in order to stay supple and at their proper length tension relationships. Does that make
0: sense? Got it. Oh yeah, so absolutely. So that's
1: that's how that ankle can start promoting knee hyperextension, right? Which then shuts off the butt muscle, which then causes the anterior femoral glide syndrome, which then causes whatever issues you have here, and then your brain says, "Oh, I've got to get off of this thing." Now you've got sciatic mm-hmm. pain or SI joint
0: pain. Uh, that's wild. Okay, so uh yeah, so then kind of going to that that route then, so is working on mobility in that area of where the previous injury was, is that kind of going to be key to then fixing everything up the way? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We have to work on that mobility. Now we have to also understand is, you know, if the calf and soleus are tighter on that side, what is the primary driver of that? Is it the ankle? Because it's also our sleeping habit. So Mm. when we sleep at night, and if you're a back sleeper, your covers are resting on your toes and they point the toes away from you, which shortens the calf and soleus complex for that mm. six to eight hours. If you're a stomach sleeper, the bed is is forcing the foot to be in that position, which then shortens it. And if you mm-hmm. sleep on your side, you'll notice that you you point your toes away from you, which also shortens the calf and soleus complex. So not only could the ankle have been the the thing that initially injured this, but your sleeping behaviors are the things that are, perpetuating that dysfunction
0: yeah makes sense I mean you're you're laying in a position for eight hours every single day it's gonna it's gonna play out a large role um, yeah and and on that note is there a perfect way to be sleeping that you know of is is uh, belly sleeping side sleeping or back sleeping preferred or um, does it just kind of depend on the person
1: yeah I I you know uh, there's a lot Typically, especially if you have back or sciatic pain, you're told never sleep on your stomach. That's absolutely mm. correct because that's, that's, the, that's the worst position for your back. However, if that's your preferred sleeping position, then let's just figure out a better way for you to sleep on your stomach because I want mm. you to sleep in a way, in a position where you're going to sleep deeply because that's when healing happens. You're rested in the morning. So uh, rather than say, no, don't ever do that because I, I've seen too many patients who, are, who have been told not to do that. And then they end up tossing and turning all night because, and they can't get a good night's sleep. And now years have gone by and they're miserable because they're now are in pain and exhausted (laughs) from not sleeping well. So it's really simple. I mean, just put a pillow underneath your chest. If you're going to, if you need to sleep on your stomach and you've got back or sciatic pain, put a pillow underneath your chest, introduce some flexion into the hip joint and that will solve all the stress that's causing your back or hip pain. That way you can get a nice deep sleep. And if you have neck pain, That'll help take the torque off of your neck because now your head doesn't have to be turned like this, right? Right. So severely, now you've got more space between your head and the bed and your, and your head can be turned this much instead of cranked this much.
0: Mm, Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Um, No, thank you. (laughs) Personally, thank you for, for that information. Uh, That's beneficial for not only myself, but hopefully a lot of the listeners. Um, now one, one question I get very often from people is, Uh, You know, they work desk jobs, obviously with COVID and everything like remote working has has been on the rise. And, uh, you know, even before that people were sitting at desks for long periods of time. Uh, But what are for one, what what are some of the common symptoms people are getting from sitting too much? And then also, what are some of the either exercises or stretches that we can do to help combat that? And, um, you know, is it even like maybe breaking up your work and getting up every hour to have a little movement? Um, what What's kind of your recommendation? And, and what do you see on that?
1: Yeah so uh this can be a big problem. There are a lot of a lot of people who sit for 8 to 10 hours a day at a, at a desk and have no pain at all or repercussions. And and so sitting isn't necessarily the evil that it's being made out to be. What what's what's wrong is a match between your body and how your how you're set up ergonomically. And if you unfortunately if you go online you'll see that all ergonomic, you know, Literature just says, "Oh, your knees should be bent at ninety degrees, your hips should be bent at 90 degrees, your elbows should be bent at ninety degrees, you know and okay, now what? I still have pain, right
2: mm-hmm. so
1: what's going on is is that uh, most people you know everyone's bodies are different, and so the ergonomics need to be different and it's it's okay for your knees to your hips to be flexed more than ninety degrees, especially if you have a certain pattern that's feeding your back pain, right. Uh, but typically, and we can go more deeply into ergonomics, for, for upper body issues, typically when you sit down, your arms should be at the seams of your shirt, right down here hmm. by your side. And when they're here, wherever your hands are in this position is where your keyboard should be. If you're gotcha. reaching forward for your keyboard, then you've lost the support of, your, of, your, of the arms of your chair at this position. Okay, mm. and now you're using shoulder and neck muscles to hold up your arm instead of letting your arms rest and let your fingers do the working Now you know if you reach forward or your elbows are out to the side or something like that, now all of this stuff starts to work too so from an upper body standpoint, that's what needs to occur and what happens is most people who most people's office chairs are too cavernous to for their bodies, and so mm-hmm. the arms will come in, but they'll only come into here right? Instead of all the way into here. So right. how do we solve that problem? Well, you just bring a, a pillow in from your bedroom, you fold it in half and you shove it between your body and the arm of the chair. And what that'll do is it will support the, the arm a little bit higher than it's used to. But now you've got this broad, cushy thing to rest your elbow on and your hands in the perfect position. And suddenly this whole system, the neck, shoulder and head system gets to relax while you work instead of being under constant tension to hold this whole arm up. Cause the arm weighs, you know, 20, 25 pounds. It's a lot to hold up during the day if you're typing on your computer all day like that.
2: Mm-hmm. From a back right.
1: standpoint, from a back standpoint, the most common pattern that's causing most back pain is one of too much arch in the low back, all right? And you can test this really easily if you lie down on, your, on the floor on your back with your legs straight for 30 seconds. And then after 30 seconds, then you bend your knees like this because your feet are flat on the ground for 30 seconds. If your back feels better with your knees bent, then you've got a problem with too much arch in your back. Hmm. So what do we need to do about your chair to to solve that? Well, again, get some pillows from, from the bedroom because chances are you're sitting at the front of your chair and you're leaning into that computer. And so your back is unsupported in an arched position. So what you're doing now is causing the back muscles to contract in the position that they are uncomfortable in. And by putting pillows behind you in the chair and leaning against those, because it's, uh, what that does is it signals your back to back muscles to turn off and relax, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You're
1: sitting in front of your chair because for some reason you believe you need to do that. So let's not make you sit in the back of your chair. Because frankly, that just isn't going to happen. You've already proven that that's not going to happen because you sit in the front. So instead, let's bring the back of the chair to you. And that's how, that's what you use those pillows for. And so for those same people, if you feel better with your back, with your knees bent, then you might want to consider putting something underneath your feet to lift your knees mm-hmm. up higher. So that throws your back into more flexion. I had a woman cry once in the clinic from joy because I went over these changes. I put pillows in her, her, you know, in the chair and showed her how her chair should be set up. And she literally started crying because she never thought that she could sit without pain Wow! because no one had ever showed her these kinds of things before. And so, you know, she could work eight to 10 hours without completely without pain and come home feeling refreshed rather than, you know, tormented at work all Mm. the time. So it's a big deal ergonomics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, hundred percent agree. And so mainly then with, you know, having pain in sitting, you're saying it's, it's more important to kind of look at the, like you said, the ergonomics and, and the design of where, how you're sitting and really focus on that because that can make a big role in how you're feeling later. Um, which definitely makes sense because if you are sitting at your desk, so just like with sleeping eight hours, if you're at your desk for eight hours, that's a long period of time in which your body is being shaped. So making sure that we're having it in a, in a proper uh, shape is, is going to be very key.
1: You want, yeah. you want muscle relaxation. You don't want muscle tension while you're sitting like that. And so are, you're sitting right now, right? Evan? Yeah. Okay. So th- here's, here's yet another thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about your left hip and the possibility mm-hmm. that your left pelvis might be higher than the right side. So let's, since we're talking about sitting, what if does your hip hurt when you're sitting?
0: If I sit for a little like a little over an hour, maybe around the two hour marks or around there, that's when I start to feel a little discomfort.
1: Okay. So so what most people will do, let's say they have a hip what that's hurting when they're sitting, or SI pain, or sciatic pain, or back pain, or whatever. What they'll do is they'll start to migrate to the opposite butt cheek to unload that side. Mm. All right. So go ahead and do that in your chair and notice what just Do it to your right side and notice what just happens to your left pelvis. When you do that, what do you notice?
0: Uh, kind of lifts up a little bit, but also, uh, I feel a little bit, almost more like, uh, like blood flow to that area too. Like it's coming back.
1: Okay. So, so what you've just discovered is that when you shift over to your opposite hip, this hip lifts up. Right. But we just talked about the fact that that hip lifting up is the problem that's leading to the sciatic pain. So by shifting your weight to the opposite hip, which is makes total intuitive sense, you're actually perpetuating the pattern that's causing the pain in the first place,
2: which mm. is the fact
1: that that, elevated, that hip is elevating, right? So right. what you need to do, learn to do instead is learn to weight-bear on that hip, but not allow compression to occur while you're weight-bearing.
0: Mm, okay. Does
1: that make sense? So when yeah. we weight bear on a, on a painful hip, what h- tends to happen is that uh, if people really analyze their sitting, they'll notice that they tend to slouch on onto that side a little bit. It's disengaged, mm. or they're leaning harder on that elbow, or something like that. So what they've got to, and so what what they're doing is causing this compression to occur, the side bending pattern problem. So what I have people do is just simply weight shift over to the painful hip. And again, raise that arm up in the air. And mm. what that does is it breaks up that compression pattern that you've created typically sitting. And then you just go back to work again, feeling that your pelvis is level and your rib cage is level. And when you do that, then you're, then this space here is level between your spine instead of sitting like this all the time. Right. So that's a, that's, a, that's one of those things where it seems counterintuitive but once you see that that's what's happening, it only makes sense not to perpetuate the pattern that's causing your pain in the first place, and that's how you solve right. that.
0: Oh, that's amazing! No, <laughs> I, I love that so much. I'm I'm taking mental notes here, and I'm gonna uh, uh, definitely go back through this because I'm I, I want to apply a lot of this to uh to to my work essentially. Um, now, I did. I, I also wanted to ask. Um, you know, cause I, 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 know you're all about trying to become pain-free without the use of, you know, medications and, and any kind of uh, external substance, right? So in terms of, let's just say the average person, if this even works, because I know everyone is so unique and has different, you know, our bodies are all going through their own path. So are there certain practices though, that we should be doing every single day that are going to help kind of balance the body or, you know. Correct any imbalances, or maybe just strengthen certain muscles that are being underused and uh, should be strengthened.
1: Well, I think all all of those practices would stem out of your awareness of what the problems are in your body, right? Mm -hmm. So it's if because you're absolutely right, there isn't a blanket practice that everyone should do that's going to fix everything. So you have a left hip side bending problem. Someone else might have a right hip side bending problem. Another person may have chronic neck pain or headaches that they need to solve, you know, and their lower body system is working just fine other people will have plantar fasciitis. So it really depends on, you have to know your body. And so that's what, frankly, my, my books, my downloadable home programs are about this new book, solving the pain puzzle. It kind of describes this whole approach that you don't, it, the, the thing is, is it's much simpler than, than you can imagine. I've owned a physical therapy clinic for the last 10 years and that's helped me understand that all of these things that we're kind of talking about today are occurring in patterns in people. So that, for instance, this side bending problem that I was describing earlier, maybe that causes mm-hmm. uh sciatic pain in you, but in another person, it would cause SI joint pain in another, it would cause unilateral back pain and still another, it would be hip pain. So, it all depends. So how it's, how the patterns are manifesting in each person may be different, but it's always the same pattern. And that's why solving Hmm. pain has become so simple is because I don't have to get, because I get questions, but I've got SI joint pain, but I've got sciatic pain, but my sciatic pain goes down to my foot, but my sciatic pain goes to my knee, but I've got hip pain. It's all the same thing. It's just manifesting in your body differently because of your genetics, your exercise history, your injury history, your work history, all sorts of things can cause the same pattern to be expressed differently in different people. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. Um, yeah, and and I like you said, it is. It's going to be very specific to each person, but... Um, I think it's kind of neat to see that uh, even though it might be a different pain, it still is coming typically from, you know, the same kind of same issue.
1: thing. Same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then uh, another thing I wanted to talk a bit about was, uh, you know, headaches and migraines, because I know this is something that a lot of people are dealing with as well, a, a lot of people that I, I know personally. So in terms of headache and neck and, and migraines and, and all the pain in the neck, is that coming from down in the body, like in the back and kind of like the posture or, or what's kind of the main cause of a lot of these headaches and migraines that are occurring?
1: Yeah. And neck pain too. So, uh, I can link it to the lower body if I need to, but basically if we, if we look at the skeleton and folks at home, you know, if you're not watching, you can type in skeleton on Google and you'll see one and you'll see that most of the bones in the skeleton are these long bones, Right. But there's two Mm -hmm. places in our skeleton that we don't have long bones. We have flat bones. One is the pelvis. And we all know that the pelvis is the center of function for our lower body system and our back. The other is the shoulder blade. That's the center of function for our upper body system, our neck and our head. So the Mm. surprising cause of most chronic neck pain and headaches is that the shoulder girdle system is not operating correctly. Well, how can this possibly relate to the neck or the head? Because if you again, Google the, the muscles of the shoulder blade, you'll see that there are significant attachments into the neck and the base of the skull and therefore and so when there's dysfunction in the shoulder blade, it's transmitted via these muscles into the neck bones and the base of the skull causing chronic headaches, neck pain, and so forth. Mm. What's the most common problem with the shoulder blade? It's that the shoulder blade system, it tends to rest too low. All right. And there's a really easy test that you can do to determine whether this is happening in you or your friends, Evan. It's really simple. You get your person who has neck pain or headaches to stand in front of you and they turn their heads left, right, look up and look down and get a sense for where their pain is, how bad it is, how much they have to turn before they have pain. And then you stand behind them and you put your hands in their armpits like this and lift Mm -hmm. up their shoulder blades a half inch or an inch higher. All right. And you mm-hmm. kind of jiggle those around to make sure that they're relaxing into your hands as completely as possible. Mm. After about 15 or 30 seconds of that, you ask them to move their head around, left, right, up and down again. And almost guaranteed, if they have any kind of chronic neck pain or headaches, they're going to feel relief from you doing this for them. Wow. All right. Okay. Now, why is that working? Because their shoulder girdle system, it's showing us that the shoulder girdle system is sitting too low. And simply by lifting it up, we're unloading the tissues that are going into the neck and the base of the skull. Mm -hmm. Simple, right? Right. Now, there will be some people out there who have had chronic neck pain and headaches so long, or maybe it's due to a motor vehicle accident, that they've got all this tension and they can't let go of the shoulder girdle system in 15 to 30 seconds. Oftentimes, and they'll say, I don't feel any difference. Well, then the next part of the test is to lower the shoulder blades back down and take your hands away. And that's when these people will usually say, oh my gosh, now I can feel my pain again. I didn't realize it was gone, right? So that's further confirmation that the shoulder blade system is the cause of the chronic neck pain and headaches. And frankly, Evan, in the past 20 years, I have not run into anyone with chronic neck pain or headaches that it has not been the shoulder girdle system.
2: Mm, Okay. And
1: And zero of these people have ever had anyone look at their shoulder as the source of their pain. And that's why we're so successful at solving it. Migraines, right. tension headaches. It doesn't matter.
0: And so what causes the shoulder girdle to rest, uh, lower as opposed to higher?
1: Yeah. So in the case of unilateral neck pain or headaches, the shoulder blade is kind of resting on the rib cage. Mm-hmm. Well, we just talked about that side of problem, right? right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if the if the rib cage is also low, now the shoulder blade is low and that's setting up the shoulder blade because there are rules about how this should be resting and moving. And when the shoulder, when the rib cage is sitting lower like that, it throws a wrench into these rules. And so gotcha. that's when we, that's one of the reasons that causes unilateral neck pain and headaches. All right. And to answer mm-hmm. your question, that's how we can connect something from the foot. Gosh, I've got this left ankle injury do you think that has anything to do with my neck pain and headaches on my left side? Absolutely. Right. Mm. And this is how it's connected.
2: But the other thing,
1: if you have bilateral neck pain and headaches, the reason is because of people's posture strategies. All right. They're going about uh, achieving posture incorrectly and they're using their shoulder blades to create posture instead of using their core to create posture. I can go into that if you want to.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, the core is such an important muscle group as well.
1: Okay. So, uh, one of, why would someone be using their shoulder blades to create posture? And it's because in many classes, uh, you'll hear the cue to bring your shoulder blades down and back into your opposite back pockets, right? Well, Mm -hmm. that cue is to create the aesthetic Beauty of a long neck mm. and by doing that, what we're doing is also pulling our spine into this extended what we think is a better posture position, which is fine, but we're using the wrong system to do that. The shoulder blades are not designed if you look at the architecture of them. They're not designed to create posture. They're designed to help the arm move overhead.
2: Mm. What is designed okay.
1: to create posture is our core. And so the way that we, so we have to change that strategy. And once we change that strategy, you'll notice that neck pain and headaches will melt away. So the way that we change that is we put one hand on your chest and the other hand on your belly. All right, go ahead and try this. So we got one hand here and one hand here, take a nice deep breath in and you'll feel your chest lift and then exhale and you'll feel the chest lower again. Can you feel that? Yeah. Okay. So now take another deep breath in, feel the chest lift. And then when you exhale, exhale all the way, but don't let the chest fall down all the way. Let it fall down 99% of the way, but not 100. So you're going to hold it up maybe, maybe that much, really, really little. And you'll notice that when you don't let that chest fall down all the way, that your stomach muscles have just engaged ever so slightly, maybe Mm. 5%, maybe 10%. So that is your core holding up your rib cage, which is what it's designed to do. That's why we have a broad flat all, if you again, Google the abdominals, you'll see massive muscles all over the place and Mm -hmm. many layers deep. This is why we have those is to hold up this whole system up here. Right. And this is how we do it. We lift the rib cage ever so slightly and that engages the core naturally. The second part of this equation then is to bring your arms down by your sides and jiggle your arms around, make them like two loose ropes. They should just be dangling by your sides. Now you'll notice that when you relax your shoulders completely, you've probably just relaxed your core completely though too.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's because you've tied shoulder engagement to posture instead of core engagement to posture. Mm. So what you need to do is learn to do this while keeping the shoulders relaxed. You need to be able to hold the rib cage up ever so slightly, which will naturally engage the core as much as it's needed. You don't need 100% maximal contraction, right? We're talking 5% maybe, very little. Mm -hmm. And then also relax your shoulders, right? And that's how you create a better posture strategy rather than using the shoulder. And once you stop using the shoulder blades to create good posture, once again, neck pain and headaches will melt away.
0: That's no that's that's absolutely amazing right even right now just doing that i can feel my shoulders uh the shoulder blades but also just the whole entire shoulder feeling much more relaxed and even coming to a lower position like you were saying but um like still having the support of my ribs like not fully just wanting to almost like hunch over like still feeling the support of the abs and and wanting to keep the the posture up right that feels much better
1: Yes yeah and and so that's so uh that That is a big deal for a lot of people. And, you know, unfortunately I, I like, this is taught a lot in yoga, Pilates, personal training, even physical therapy. And I believe the reason that this is, I don't believe that this is a true yoga uh, instruction from centuries ago. I think it's slipped in recently fr- because of uh, the aesthetics of dance. I think has 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 married over into gymnastics, yoga, you know, all sorts of things. And a lot of dancers are trained to have these long necks. Well, the mm-hmm. only way to achieve a long neck is by depressing the shoulder blades. Mm. And that's why the, a lot of dancers have chronic migraines, headaches, neck pain and so forth. And a lot of them end up leaving dance because of their own training. Right. And mm-hmm. so this is. I, because I, I think yoga is amazing and Pilates and, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, that one cue, I think is, is not, I, I think that's an artificial cueing system that's come, that's bled into yoga that wasn't originally there with, with the masters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree on that. I think, um, and, and, and you notice it for sure in, in a lot of the yogic practices, like, uh, yes. cause I do a lot of yoga as a yoga teacher and, um, yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely see a lot of Western-style practices being integrated, like you said, with gymnastics and all this. Um, so mm-hmm. highly, highly agree with that. Uh, now, r- real quickly, Rick, because uh, we are – I've, I've been having my mind kind of blown right now with all the information. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it. Um, but we are coming towards the end of our podcast, and I did want to talk a bit about your books. And um, they just – sound like they're packed with so much information so uh for example would you mind kind of explaining a little bit of what the fixing you book series and the solving the uh pain puzzle what what those two different books would be kind of addressing in terms of uh the body and and pain and, sure. and all that
1: yeah so i wrote the fix fixing you series of books about 10 or 15 years ago because after taking a course with another pt um You know, that that was transformational in my understanding of of pain in the body. Uh, I I talked to him and he said, like, no big deal. I'm just like, well, what are you talking about? This is huge. This is how the body works. And he said, well, this is because I'm a manual therapist. So I'm probably not going to use this stuff, which means that he is Mm -hmm. someone who, you know, does soft tissue work or joint manipulations to solve people's pain, which is fine. But then I realized that all of his patients were not understanding then getting the training to how to use their body better. So they didn't have to go to this person again. And so I decided to do an end around practitioners and write my Fixing You series of books, which are self-help books designed to help people solve their pain. And that's, that's what those are about. Well, after that, I owned my clinic for about 10 years. And that's when I saw, after seeing thousands of these patients, like all at once. (laughs) Uh, That's when I realized that, oh my God, it's the same pattern of issues is causing the pain, the different pains in people, but it's the same patterns. This is all a pattern problem. And so that's when I created my downloadable home programs. Those are designed to help solve all of these patterns that are causing chronic pain. Well, then, uh, so over the years, I've gotten a lot of people who've read my books and been helped by them. And in those books are these little stories of client connections, where I use a biomechanical piece of information and I show how I solved it, someone's problem with that. And over the years, so many people have commented to me about these client connections, They're these little like one paragraph stories, like, oh, that, that was like me, you know, mm. that I decided, you know, what if I turn this on its head and I wrote a book about all these case studies and how I helped these people solve their pain, not from talking about all the biomechanics and anatomy and so forth, but talking about this whole point of view of looking at the body as a system rather than this component thinking, which is how we're trained as physical therapists. So this Solving the Pain Puzzle is is the latest book and their case studies for my 25 years of uh, being a PT how I solve these really difficult things and how I came up with this whole approach to solving pain. And it's completely unique. It's, it doesn't exist out there, but it's so helpful. And I think it's what we've been missing in medicine is this systems approach to solving things in terms of musculoskeletal rehab anyway.
0: Oh, it's amazing. I, I love that. So in, uh in the solving the pain puzzle book, that's where you kind of show the patients that you've worked with and, and kind of their experience and, and break it down that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you get uh, that, more of the excellent. patient and how it's changed their life and, and how we work together as people rather than me just clinically talking about the anatomy biomechanics and so forth.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And then you also said you do have, uh, in home, uh, like downloadable content that people can, can use. Correct.
1: Yeah, I've got five different programs, one's for back and sciatic pain, the others for neck pain and headaches, and then I've got one for hip, knee, and then foot. And those are all digital programs that people, and they're really affordable, but they solve everything. Not only, I mean, we haven't even touched on a lot of the stuff, the ways that I help solve people, people's pain, but they're very comprehensive, but very simple and fast and easy to use.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that so much. And also just being able I, that's one thing I do love about technology is having access to people like yourself but not being in the same state where we can physically be in person you know and but still being able to benefit from your teaching so uh that's incredible <laughs> i'm definitely going to be checking that out myself um as far as your books go are those available through amazon or or just through your yep. website
1: everything's on okay. amazon and i've also created a practitioners training course to treat, to teach other practitioners how to see the body like this. I I feel that if if coaches through surgeons understood all of this type of stuff, that we would eliminate chronic pain from our society because we could nip this stuff in the bud right in the beginning. If everyone understood really how the body works to both create and solve pain, it would put me out of work and that would make me very happy.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that. You know, it's uh, that is... I think that is the goal of being in the health and wellness field is not to have a returning client, right? Uh, you want to right. give them the tools to to live a life that's sustainable. So um, I think that speaks a lot towards you as a person and as well as your practice. i, I love to hear that. Um, Rick, this is going to bring us to the end of the episode, but I do want to give you a moment to share any other final thoughts where people can connect with you. Um, of course, I'm going to link everything in the show notes for all of you listeners. So his books programs, his website, we'll have that all linked, but please feel free to share anything else, Rick.
1: Yeah, I, I my message I think to most people is that they end up feeling broken after being in our medical system because, you know, practitioner after practitioner has tried to solve them and and they've only been met with failure. And so they a lot of people are, are blame you know, the blame is placed on them instead of their practitioner. And my message is that you're not really broken. It's just that you haven't been looked at in the right way yet. And the common denominator of the way that you've been looked at from now, from up to this point is this component thinking people have been focused on the tissues that are damaged, not the reasons those tissues are damaged. And my programs and my books and everything is about these, this more systems approach that we're not trained in, but I think is desperately needed. The very fact that that chronic pain is so prevalent, not only in the United States, but in the world, means that we're missing something because our bodies have the essential elements to heal itself. So if, if we can just get the barriers out of the way, that healing will happen. And that's what my program does for a lot of musculoskeletal pain.
0: It's incredible, Rick. No, I... I... I'm totally on board with it. I, I think the stuff that you're talking about is is really what we need to be focusing on, um, and can lead to some serious changes, like you said, with with living pain free, you know, and uh, just through understanding the way our bodies work. So, um, yeah, honestly, Rick, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this show for for just myself. Um, yeah, I mean, like I I know our listeners are going to benefit greatly, but for me personally, this has been a real treat. Um, I've I've greatly enjoyed this talk. So, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and thank you for having me.
0: yeah, a hundred percent, Rick. Well, everyone, that is going to do it for today's episode. You know the motto of the show. it's "Do everything with good intentions and connect to your elements. Thanks you so much, Rick. This podcast is for educational purposes only.